0: Everybody open your Bibles. If you have one to Acts 6, you can read along on the screen or your favorite Bible app. These next two weeks are going to be a little different. I'll tell you what we're going to be talking about, and hopefully that doesn't cause you to feel like you're about to be bored to death, because I don't think you will. We're going to be talking about the dynamic, exhilarating subject of deacons in the church. All right. Now, I hope by the end of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is the best topic ever. Uh, this is something we probably all have uh, stories about, experiences about in our lives, right? Depending on your church background, you know, all the jokes like, you know, why are the pastor, pastor's kids so bad? Because they've been hanging out with the deacon's kids. Or, you know, you say to the deacon, I want you to be my pallbearer when I die so you can let me down one more time. You know, and all all the various things that are said over and over again. But I hope as we go through these next two weeks that we will see that it's really not a trivial thing and it's not merely a traditional thing, but it's actually something that we need to do as we grow as a church. Something I also, I'm going to come back to this, I believe, but just to make sure I don't, as we talk about the establishment of this important role in the life of our church as we grow and move into this eighth year, in no way are we saying that we don't already have people who are leading in service in amazing ways. And so right now, let's really just give an applause to all the people you don't know who they are, right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. So so in no way here, this is a message that's saying, like, we need people to do stuff because nobody's been doing anything. It's the exact opposite. It's actually, we want to be... Just fanning the flame on the fire of the important work that so many people do beyond the surface. All right, beyond, behind the scenes, beyond the surface. Let's stand to our feet, and we're going to read from God's word in Acts chapter six, and also of uh, first well Acts chapter six. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now as we come to this subject that may not be uh, at the forefront of many of our minds as we live lives each day in a, in a real battle with sin and with suffering and with Satan. But may you help us all to see how this relates to us in that greater kingdom struggle. We pray now that you would help us to, to hear your word. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us not to programs, but to ultimately the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Forgiveness is not an occasional act, it is a permanent attitude. I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Faith is like taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. Never succumb to the temptation of bitterness. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. We may have all come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in the times of challenge and controversy. Out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight as we we as a people will get to that promised land. Can you guess who who I'm quoting? Martin Luther King Jr., right? Tomorrow's the day we we note this. And when we think about him, we think of this man, this imperfect leader, but who helped our country move forward in civil rights and loving our African-American neighbors. And we know his name. But do you know names like this? Ralph Abernathy, Fred Shuttlesworth, Joseph Lowry, Stanley Levinson... Ella Baker, Brother T. Jemison, Wyatt T. Walker, Dorothy Cotton, Bernard Lafayette, Bernice Robinson, Septima Clark, Brother C.T. Vivian, and you may know this name Mahalia Jackson. Who are all these people? These are a people who were lead servants in the fight for civil rights. Names that we might not all know, but names were they not at work, a speech would not have went anywhere. Clever sayings, persuasive meetings are all important, but it takes people who are working behind the scenes to execute the vision, the mission to make things happen. We as a people and we as a church can often overemphasize or exaggerate the importance of being the people who are up front, being the people who are speaking, being the people who are seen and miss the indispensability and the deep importance of those who serve, but also the deep importance of having people who are the leaders of those who serve, who we might call lead servants, and who I think the Bible says fulfill this office we know as deacon. Again, many of us may have our deacon stories. We may think of a board of directors who holds the pastor accountable. We might think of a group of old men, if you're like me growing up, who smoke in between Sunday school and the regular service out on the front stoop. And people who make sure that the the building stays clean. And it's a mix of these things. But in the scriptures, we're called to see that the role of deacon is a strategic and important role to the mission. And if we want to grow and execute the mission of God's kingdom, then we have got to faithfully engage the ministry of God's deacons. Now where do we see this from the text? How do we see this growing? We're going to come back to to Acts 6 and some of the interpretive difficulties around making this connection. But if we want to execute God's mission by engaging the ministry of God's deacons, the first thing we have to do is expose the problems that the absence of deacons, that the absence of lead servants brings. Notice verse 1. In these days, the disciples were increasing in number. This is a time in the life of the history of the church where the church is growing. The church is thriving. The Spirit of God has descended upon the people of God. The Word of God is being proclaimed, and thousands of people are coming to know Jesus as the Messiah, the long-awaited King of Israel. And the way that we might distinguish, call this is it's, it's organic growth. There is no plan. There are no structures. The church is a new baby, and it is growing. And it is amazing, and it is exciting. It's what we pattern a lot of the way we talk about our church, right? We want to be like an Acts 2 church, right? We're not only gathering together in in, in large gatherings and hearing the word, but we're going into our homes, and we're sharing that word together. We're inviting the outsider in so that they might get on it, and more and more people are coming that need to be served. It's amazing. One commentator says, though, how is the work going to go when the family is double the size you expected to be. You're like a parent who said, oh, we're having a baby, and all of a sudden you find out we're having twins, or we're having triplets, or we're having quadruplets. <laughs> baby heard that. It changes things. And so we see that God's church now faces threats. Continuing in verse 1, it says a complaint. ...by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews... ...because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So if you were following the book of Acts... ...we see there's already been some threats, right? There's the threat of persecution. And there's also been the threat of deception and dishonesty... ...with with Ananias and Sapphira lying about their giving. And here comes a new threat, a threat we might miss... ...a threat of disorganization... And it begins with a threat here that causes disunity. We see here that the Hellenists are murmuring. It says complaint. If you were to translate this in original language, it's grumbling. If you know your Old Testament, you're clicked back into the story. This is not the first time that there's been grumbling and murmuring. And, and for, uh, to maybe impress my fancy English teacher wife, it's, it's onomatopoeia. Am I saying that Right? Right? So like swoosh basketball, right? Like a word that says it. This word is onomatopoeia, right? It's murmur, like murmur, murmur, murmur. Just think there's people murmuring, right? So we want to be like an early Acts church, but already in the early Acts church, there's people walking around murmuring. And there's disunity that's growing. Because organically, things are going well in some ways, but now organically, there's weeds growing. There's weeds growing because disunity is flowing from disservice. When we think about these Hellenistic widows, Hellenistic is a word that speaks of the Greek culture. Uh, They were still Jewish, Jewish people, but they were they were Hellenistic Jews. That conflict later, Jew and Gentile is going to come up. This isn't that yet. But they were probably not originally from Jerusalem, but now they're living there. They've become followers of Jesus, and there's a cultural difference. There may be a language difference. There's a relating difference. And so as the church is growing organically... These people may not have been intentionally being left out, but, you know, just kind of birds of a feather flock together. It's easier to serve people who speak our own language. It's easier to serve people that we can relate with. And so the, the Jewish widows are getting better service. And it's causing disunity. It's causing disservice. And then in verse 2 we see it's causing distraction. The twelve, the apostles, summon the full number of the disciples... ...and they say it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. What does this mean? Murmuring, complaining, disunity, disservice. The organic reaction was, you guys should take care of this. You're the leaders. You're the apostles. And so now, all of a sudden, the apostles who want to be focused on the proclamation of the Word, which is not just preaching a Sunday sermon, but it's a ministry of the Word in the congregation, a ministry of evangelism, now all of a sudden, they're handling conflicts all the time. Conflicts that are caused because there's not really good systems to make sure everyone is cared for well. And what this leads then is a detour from the full scope of the mission. It's not that doing this was important and doing this was not important. It's just that everybody's kind of doing everything. And as the old saying goes, everybody's business is nobody's business. How could the church, one commentator says, win the war for souls if there were wars within her walls? Think of this, I shared this at a members meeting recently as we began to talk about this. You could be one of the most loving parents in the history of the world or a loving parents, and you could have all the fun in the world, right? And you could welcome all the kids into your home, but if you don't have the plan to pay the light bill, then guess what happens? You're going to walk in the house one day, and you're not going to be able to use the stove. Right? I've heard stories of people who want to care and have big plans and big dreams and big visions. But at some point, you have to grow up and you have to get organized. Not because you don't care about the organic nature, but because you care that that organic nature is protected. One, some people think of this in terms of like a trellis and a vine. The trellis is the structure upon which a vine grows. Trellis is not the point. The growth of the vine is the point, but if you say, I'm not into trellises, then guess what? You unintentionally become not into vines. We have to be a people who expose the problems of not having lead servants. Again, we are so thankful for the people who are doing this now. But a lot of what is done is being done out of just a pure organic love and it is beautiful and it is great but as a church that is growing and wants to grow more, then we have to be willing to say, maybe this is why God said we should have deacons. That this is His design. We have to be honest about threats. There could be disservice that happens. It's not intentional, right? There could be certain people who are getting better care than other people. Again, it's not intentional, but that's the whole point. It's because it's not intentional. And we need some things to give attention There needs to be service opportunities that could be capitalized on or be made more consistent. As missional communities go out and serve people, sometimes the task and the service opportunities get way bigger than what a missional community can accomplish within a certain week, given people seasons of life. What if there were lead Dinkins there? We've seen this in so many ways that people fall through the cracks Not because people are less loved often, but because there's just less of a plan. And this leads to distractions. Again, I feel some way about talking about this and shame as a pastor. But when there's not organization and people who are appointed to provide leadership and oversight of meeting practical, tangible needs within the life of the church, then guess who ends up doing it or thinking about it? It's, It's your elders, right? And you might think, well, they're not doing it very well. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> but again, there becomes this guilt and shame of I'm, I should be doing this, but I'm not doing it very well. <laughs> and it just kind of trickles. And all of a sudden, people become distracted. And everybody can feel distracted. Everybody can feel like they're burning out, which then leads to disunity. Disunity. And everybody's pointing a finger at somebody else saying, Well, I'd do this if you were doing this, or Why don't you do this, or Why don't we do this? And then that leads from a detour from our mission. None of us, none of us became a part of a church to experience disunity, disservice, distraction, or detour from mission. We're here because we want to make. Jesus known to the broken, to the burnout, and the bored. These early disciples, this early church, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to see the kingdom of God proclaimed, and they wanted to see it practiced. They wanted widows and orphans and the lost and the lonely and the left out to have a place at the table. That's what it was all about. They didn't want to be distracted And they they wanted to live in what we're called to in in Revelation and those messages of the churches, to be a church that doesn't forget its first love because it becomes so wrapped up in just keeping a dang church running. And that's how it feels like sometimes, like just getting stuff done. Maybe this is one of the reasons God has said we need, we need this office of deacon. It needs to be emphasized, it needs to be utilized, it needs to be mobilized. And so I've touched on this already, but there's, a two, there's two defeaters to this in the personalities in this room. On one side, there's the, we might call it, someone has the technocratic temptation, and that is, all right, all got to get now is the right system in place. Systems fix everything. Technology fixes everything. Execution fixes everything. But it doesn't. And on the other side, you have the spiritualists, right? The super organic people where they're like, if we all just really loved each other enough, we wouldn't have to do things like this. It wouldn't have to be organized, right? So wherever you're at in this room, right, you're, one of, you're falling off one side of the donkey, we're falling off on the other. But what we see and we're about to see is that the implementation of deacons is to help us not choose either of those options. But to understand these are not enemies, but they're friends, An organism can grow through being an organization. So we see what happens. So we expose the problems their absence brings, but now we can envision the progress their presence brings. A few things to say about this text. This really, the word, they're not called deacons in this text. All right, we're going to have to get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll get there more next week. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. When Paul writes a letter to the church of Philippi, he writes it to the elders and to the deacons. So we see this becomes a prominent role. So what we're reading here in Acts chapter 6 is really just a creative response to a problem that they had in the church. It was a spirit-inspired, flexible, creative problem, which helps us in two ways. It gives us a pattern to work off of, but we're also not to read this as a straight jacket as if we have to do it just exactly how they did it here in Acts chapter 6 because it fleshed itself out in many different ways in the histories of the church. But what we do see here, first of all, is there was ownership. Notice verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good refute. That is, they come to the church. This is language, brothers, some of your translations will say brothers and sisters because it's just a language talk. Therefore, church, gather together. We want you to be a part of this process, we want you to own this process. This is so important when we think about life in the church in general. Is, is we do not think that the leaders are the church. All right? Again, we say this to to members all the time, but if you're in here, you're not a member, you've not heard this. We don't say, well, the church this, the church that, the church this without looking in the mirror. We are the church, right? So this is what's going on. Oh, y'all brought this problem to us. How do you want to solve it? We're going to give you the direction. Here's what we want to do, but you're going to take ownership of it with us. You're going to take ownership. And in this respect, they had them help them figure out who the people would be. But there's not only ownership, but attached to this is then stewardship. This is why they're to pick out people of good repute and full of the spirit and wisdom. So again, they're taking stewardship for like, we, this is not just like who can get this job done. It's got to be the right people. It's got to be people with a good reputation as a follower of Christ. It's got to be someone who's full of God's Spirit and who's full of wisdom. This is not a business that we're doing. This is a body, the body of Christ. Again, to those temptations. If it was just a technocratic systems answer, hey, we just want to get the job done, then what do we need? We just need somebody that's wise. If it was just a spiritualistic answer, we just need somebody full of the Spirit. No, full of spirit and wisdom, right? We've got to steward this. This is not our church. This is God's church. But there's also not only ownership and stewardship, but there's partnership whom we will appoint to this duty. So the church is helping it, the the people, and then the apostles. Here we might say representative of pastors in the future, just as these first men will be representative of Deacons in the future. There's a working together, but there's a working together that understands that these deacons will serve the church. They're not becoming co apostles, or as it were in our day, co elders. It's not like the church, I have to say this because I know of the experiences many of us have had in churches in the past. It's not like your elders are your Senate and your deacons are your House of Representatives. It's not like you're creating another branch of power within the church. It's not like now that these deacons are going to become people who protect the members from the pastors. Right? You've been in churches where it's like that before. Right? No. These are people who serve the church under the direction and the leadership of the apostles. And what are the results? Notice verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Once lead servants who are in place who provide not only the doing of the ministry, but the administration of the ministry, and that's so important. These lead servants aren't doing it all. They're just doing it. Then the the people who have the gifts of speaking in the ministry of the Word in evangelism are freed up to do that, to devote themselves to the prayer and to the Word. There's a second result. There's increased fellowship. Notice verse 5. It says and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Gathering of who? The Jewish Christians, the Hellenist Christians. There's now unity that comes because people are like, well, we don't have to just murmur in the background. There's a plan. This has been talked about to everybody. It's not going to fix everything, but there's increased fellowship. So increased focus, increased fellowship... But there's also an increased fit. And we may not see this unless we pay close attention. It says it pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Now where do we get increased fit by this? All of those names are Greek names. Now why do you think all the people who chose were Hellenistic or Greek? Because that's where the pinch point of the problem was. Right? We need to get people who have a real connection to the issue. Again, this is not about just getting a job done. This is about who cares. Who really cares? Who cares? Who's the fit, who's gifted, who's full of the spirit? So there's more people, acts gifts activated within the church. And then the last result we see in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. So there's increased focus, increased fellowship, increased fit, and increased fruit versus being detoured from the mission, where now all of a sudden the church that was supposed to be about mission becomes a church that's just about maintaining unity and maintaining services instead of using, seeing that all of that should be serving the greater mission, and now it happens. There was a bottleneck in the mission of God's people that needed to be opened up. You know, a bottleneck, it's coming here, it's flowing, and now all of a sudden it's getting stuck because of this issue and so through the creativity of the Spirit and the leadership of God's people, it opens up now so that the Word goes forward. Uh, one of, one of our, our leaders in the Salma family of churches, he tells a story of this sort of bottleneck situation. I'm probably getting it wrong, and if I get it wrong, just say, well, that's a pastor getting it wrong again. Is In a church that, that he was in, it was not a church like ours with uh, calling things missional communities, but with small groups, life groups, whatever you want to call them. And they were seeking to serve neighborhoods like ours seek to serve. But one of the thing is, and many of us know this in our missional communities, when we seek to serve at a park, sometimes it can feel like, wow, there's so much serving that needs to be done, there doesn't always feel like there's a lot of space for doing some of the other things that need to be done. And so he became the, uh, the deacon of the chuck wagon. What the chuck wagon was, is he drove this thing that had this big grill on it, and he would come and deliver this thing to the missional community, as it were, whatever it was called, that was doing this work, and he would make sure they had everything that they need. So there would still need to be people who needed to, be, who needed to serve and who needed to do work, but there was this great assistance, because there was this bottleneck that showed up and said, Wow! Man, it would be really nice if the church was organized to have a lead servant who could make sure that this happened so that we could focus on the reason that we want to be here, which is connecting with and loving people. Now, that's just one example. Another example I've thought of that has nothing to do with deacons is think about the paralytic that Jesus Jesus healed that his friends let him down through the roof. Now... If you read that story, what's always amazing to me is it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the man. And that always makes me scratch my head, right? When Jesus saw their faith, he healed them. Well, these these guys had a lot of faith, but what did they have to do? They had to figure out, how are we going to get our buddy to Jesus? They had to come up with a plan, right? We're going to climb on the roof and cut a hole in the roof and let him down. Now, that's a wild plan. That takes some logistics. That takes some work. That's a bottleneck that had to be opened up. When we're talking about deacons, is who are the guys? And we'll say more this week, next week. Who are the men and who are the women who are willing to say, we need to get more people to Jesus? We need to get more of our kids, more of our our communities connected. But there's got to be a plan and there's got to be a people. And for that to happen, there's got to be a process. And this is where we want to be working and praying right now as a church to determine those bottlenecks in our church. Where are we getting stuck? Where if there was someone who was appointed, who was anointed, who was designated to be a lead servant? Could we maybe see an expansion of opportunity of gospel mission and ministry? Who can lead in that execution? But again, we don't want to fall on the side of the technocrat who's like just who can do something and phone it in, or the spiritualist who's just a nice person who wants to try something. Full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. What does this mean? And likely more next week. It means it's going to need to be someone like these early men who are full of conviction. We're looking for some people who care, who have a connection, ...who have a passion. Not somebody who's going to have to be prodded along. You know, like, did you remember? Did you think about this? No, somebody who cares, right? Like somebody who's like, I want to see this done. I want to see this done well. Someone with character. In spiritual integrity. Someone who gets the content around it. Not that they have to be a biblical or a theological expert and we'll go through these qualifications next week, but they need to be said this week too. But they know how the role of deacon fits within the story of God, like you're hearing this morning. They're competent, gifted, and wise. They have the capacity to do it. This is really important. A lot of us are like, yes, I want to do that. And I'll say, yes, I want to do that, and then I'll go look at my schedule later. (laughs) right? So people who's like, I, I actually look and say, "This not only is on my heart, but I can put it on my calendar. That's really important. And then there's chemistry. This is super important. What was at the heart of the issue within this church in Acts 6? It was not mainly disservice, although that was important. It was disunity. It was disunity. People who are full of the Spirit and full of the wisdom are not people who go and create more conflict or bring drama wherever they go. One person says a deacon is to be like a shock absorber. This is actually a person who in their leadership and in their role creates unity. This is very important. They are a blessing to the church. They help the church be the people who love one another so that the world knows that we are His disciples. And they are people who are content. That is they don't see their role as a stepping stone to something better. This isn't about a title. This isn't about having something to put on a resume. This is about serving the people of God for the purposes of God. And they bring the blessing then. So we have to expose the problems, the absence of deacons bring, envision the blessing that the presence brings, but... The last thing is we need to emphasize the power their role requires. Notice verse 6, it says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. This, was not, this is not simply like just a throwaway church ritual. No, if you, if you read throughout the Scriptures about the, the, the importance, the symbolism, the signification, that the laying on of hands is. This is something that later, when when Timothy seems to be struggling with fear in his role, is that the Apostle Paul will say to him, remember the laying on of hands. Remember that this is not something you are doing in your own power. Uh, Eckhard Schnabel, if I said that right, says this, The laying on of hands derives from the Old Testament gesture of the practical result of the transfer of Moses' sovereignty and of the spirit of wisdom with the Holy Spirit to the appointment of representatives of the community of the believers and the expectation that God will bless them in their role. Whoever steps into these positions within our church they are to see that this is, this is not a call to be perfect, or nobody's living into it, right? We'll go over these qualifications again next week, right? If, if you view this as perfection, well, I need to resign right now, even though we're not going to do the pastor's one, right? There's some of those you scratch your head at, right? But these are ways that we want to live into and be examples of and do have some measure of ex, ex, exemplary character in. But those who step into this role as lead servants... Again, this is not a business. This will be an, appoint, an appointment, an anointing, to use our, our more modern language, an ordination. It'll be a call to, to, to minister in the power of the gospel, but to remember that you do not serve for anybody else's approval or you're not serving to prove yourself, but to serve in the good news that we've sang this morning, that it is finished. It's to be like Stephen. And this is is so important. Do you realize, sometimes we miss Acts chapter 7, the story of Stephen. Stephen was one of these original deacons. That's why he's kind of highlighted there and what's said about him. Is Stephen was a man who could give a gospel explanation for why he did what he did. I mean, in Acts 7, he's being persecuted. He's just sharing this whole story of God with Jesus at the center and he looks up into heaven, and as he is being stoned to death, he says those same words Jesus said, Father, forgive them. If you or anybody wants to serve as a deacon, you need to be ready. It's not going to be easy. It's going to call for you to be served, and you're going to have to remember for for you to serve, and you're going to have to remember, first of all, the gospel of Jesus that says that he did not come to be to serve, but to be served. You see, this is important for all of us in here. If you're here thinking, what does this have to me, whether I'm a deacon or not? Well, one of the biggest things about being a deacon is we're wanting to mobilize all of God's people to know what their gifts are and how they fit in the body of Christ. If you are in Jesus, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve the body of Christ. Whether you're a 10-year-old, whether you're a student at a college, whether you're a senior adult, whether you're somewhere in the middle with kids, without kids, all of the above. If you were a follower of Jesus, you were indwelt and gifted by the Holy Spirit. Go read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And you have been given gifts to serve the body and for your flourishing in life, and for your experiencing the meaning of why you exist on this planet, then you need to know where you need to serve, whether you're a deacon or not. But our hopes is that our deacons will be the people who can help mobilize and administrate, seeing all of the body activated. But what needs to be clear is that there is no system, just as we see in the book of Acts, there's no appointing of deacons that's going to solve all the problems there are going to still be be loneliness. There's still going to be sadness. There's still going to be times of disunity. There's still going to be times of disservice. There's still going to be times of distraction. And there's still going to be times when we're detoured from our mission. And if we think having deacons is a silver bullet that's going to get rid of all that, then we're all just going to set ourselves up for another season of disillusionment. Deacons will serve all those things, but there is only one thing, only one person, who is the power for us to move forward on mission as a church, and that's Jesus. He came not to be deaconed, but to deacon, to serve. And if we want to serve, then we first have to be the people who humble ourselves, like He called Peter to, to let Him serve us. If you go forward to serve other people because you think I'm going to get this payback of applause or appreciation or approval, all that's well and good, but if that's your reason, you will not endure. And you will not be able to say like Stephen, I see Jesus. And that's enough. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream, but that dream would have went nowhere without a lot of people doing a lot of work whose names we don't know. And so would the kingdom of God. May only one name, the name of Jesus, the great servant, lead us as we engage the ministry of God's deacons to advance the mission of God's church. Father, we thank you this morning that you brought us here. Uh, we confess, as we just shared, that there is no program, there is no plan that is our hope but Christ alone. And as we come now to the table, may we reflect on how you may be calling us to serve, whether as a lead servant or just in some way in the body, into the world. But above all, may we, may we just reflect on how sacrificially you've served us. And may out of that freedom, might we find where you want us to be on your mission